Well, if you turn uh, in your Bibles forward now from Genesis uh, chapter 4 up to Exodus chapter 20, which is where we're going to be uh, for the next uh, few moments as we look at the Ten Commandments. Uh, Exodus 20 and verse 13, uh, which is page 78 in the church Bibles and 117 if you have the large print Bibles. Exodus chapter 20 and verse uh, 13. Now, most of you, I think, uh, would have heard of uh, someone called Banksy. Uh, some of you may have heard, of, hopefully most of you have heard of him, otherwise you might not understand what I'm saying too much for a moment. But he is a, a, a graffiti artist. And I say he's an artist because he's probably the only person that does graffiti in the world where cities want him to come to their town and do the graffiti. Uh, recently in Port Talbot... Uh, He did some graffiti on a wall and they put a glass screen on it so no one could ruin uh, this piece of art. Uh, One piece of work that he did, uh, I think last year or the year before, sold for £12 million. Uh, Quite good for uh, what someone would class as a vandal. Uh, But uh, the other week uh, in Bristol, which is where he comes from, he did a piece of work uh, on a wall in that city And not long afterwards, almost straight away, before anyone could put any kind of glass screen around this, somebody had graffitied the graffiti. And the whole uh, uh, of the city, really, of Bristol, was in uproar that someone had vandalized this piece of graffiti on the wall, which was quite ironic, wasn't it? But his work is so valued that people see it as a terrible thing if someone writes over his work. And that's true, isn't it, for any artist. If you were to go to an art gallery and admire the work that is on the wall and then go and just start um, writing all over it, people are going to be horrified at what you've done. You may have uh, seen the the story, which I thought was quite funny, uh, just a couple of years ago, where some cleaners in the uh, Egypt Museum in Cairo uh, broke Tutankhamun's beard when they were cleaning it, and they just glued it back on with some superglue and and ruined it. (laughs) People were in uproar about this because it was a value piece of art. Now, why is it that defacing a piece of art is so shocking to us. Well, it's because it spoils something that is beautiful and it is an insult to the artist that has done this piece of work. We know that it is wrong to go and do that kind of thing. Well, this helps us to understand what is wrong with the sin of murder. Murder is defined in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6, uh, where we read, Whoever sheds human blood... By humans shall their blood be shed. For, this is the reason, in the image of God has God made mankind. So murder is here defined as the shedding of human blood. And the reason it's so serious is that humans are made in the image of God. They have been created by him. So murder is destroying something of great beauty and of great value And it is an insult to the one who has made them. All humans, every person, is created in the image of God. And so to murder is to deface 
someone that is made in God's image by God. It is destroying something valuable and it is an insult to the God who made them. Now last week we uh, were looking at giving honour where honour is due when we thought of honouring parents. And to honour somebody, if you remember, is to treat them with the value that they deserve. And the command about not murdering found here in verse 13 of uh, Exodus 20 is about treating human life with the value that human life deserves because they are made in the image of God. So whereas last week we looked at giving honour where honour is due, along similar lines, this week we can define this commandment, if you like, as honouring life. Treating life with the value that it deserves because they are made in the image of God. The Bible goes on to define murder more specifically. So when we think of murder, uh, most of us think of the obvious thing, which is premeditated killing, where we make a decision to go out and kill somebody. That's the most obvious uh, form of murder. But the Bible talks of other forms of murder as well. So there is uh, what we would call uh, involuntary manslaughter. That's where you may attack somebody, not intending to kill them, but in your attack on them, they have died. So you might get in a rage, punch someone uh, hard, and you don't intend to kill them, but they have died because you have hit them. That's uh, murder. Uh, There is also murder by negligence in the Bible. So in Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 8, uh, in the law there, uh, the Israelites are told to put fences around the roof of their homes. Because people in a sunnier climate than we have would spend a lot of time on the roof. And they were told to put fences around the roof uh, so that people were safe when they were wandering around and not fall off. If someone was not to put a fence on their roof and someone fell off, that verse tells them that they are guilty of murder by negligence. Uh, You can also commit murder through recklessness. So you may not intend to kill. You may not even intentionally attack but your behaviour that was reckless causes someone to die. So an example of that uh, in in our uh, uh, culture and and country is death by uh, drunk driving. If you've had too much to drink and you get in a car and you drive and someone dies, that is murder by recklessness. But there is some killing in the Bible that is not classed as murder. There is a difference, okay? So for example, if you are in the military in war, Fulfilling your obligations as a soldier in a war is not necessarily murder. I say necessarily because there is a line, isn't there? So, for example, in the Second World War, the soldiers that were gassing the Jews, well, that was not not murder because it was in a war, you see. Uh, Capital punishment, which is what we see in this verse in Genesis chapter 9. In the Bible, capital punishment is not classed as murder. And neither is uh, self-defense. So in another passage in Deuteronomy 22, uh, the Israelites are told that if they are defending themselves during a robbery and someone dies, it is not murder unless it's during the daytime. So if it's at night when it's dark and you're defending yourself, you can't see, there's no one around necessarily to help, then that's not murder. But if you are in the daytime and you use excessive force, then that is murder. So the Bible talks a lot about uh, this subject. So knowing what murder is and why it's wrong, 
I think it's easy for us to see in this commandment that there is freedom in honouring life. But what is not necessarily clear is why there is a freedom in this. So if we were to go around and do a poll all around Pelsall and say, uh, do you agree murder is wrong? It, it would probably get around 100% of people that would say yes. It would be some maybe that are provocative or strange that would say no. But generally, most people, the vast majority of people would say murder is wrong. But if you were to ask them why, I wonder what you might think they would say. So there would be things like, well, it's, it's just not right. Or it's better for society if we don't kill each other. Or they might say, well, if we don't kill each other, then it's going to be a safer place with that kind of a law. Now, all of those things are true. It's, it isn't right. It is better for society and it is safer. But there is a better reason that the scripture gives us as to why this frees us. And it's a freeing command for us because it tells us the real reason that we have an intrinsic value as human beings. We are valuable. You are precious and beautiful to God. And that's very freeing in a world where people are concerned about their identity. They are figuring out who they are. They are trying to find value. Whereas the Bible tells us that we have value by the fact that we are humans that God himself has knit together and made and created. That's wonderful to know, isn't it? That we are made in God's image. He has made us. When life is not honoured in this way, we make our own value judgments on what life is worth honouring and what life is not. So as Christians, we believe that all humanity, every human, is valuable and precious because God has made them. But when this is not the reason for not murdering, murder happens because people choose who is valuable and who is not. So we'll, we'll talk about this um, a little bit later, but a, a perfect example is the unborn. So the unborn are not valued in law until 24 weeks in the UK. Because before 24 weeks, you can kill them. Now at 24 weeks, and before 24 weeks, right from conception, it is an indisputable scientific fact that this is a human being. Nobody on either side of uh, the debate on abortion would ever say that before 24 weeks, this is something other than a human. But what they are saying is this is not a valuable human until they reach this particular time. And when we do not see all humanity as made in God's image and precious, it is those that are vulnerable, the unborn, the disabled, the elderly, who are most at risk of murder and do not have the same freedom to live. The UN Declaration on Human Rights says this, which is absolutely true in what it says. Everyone has the right to life, liberty, and security of person. We can say amen to that. But how many countries that sign up to that declaration do not live up to it? Because they do not believe that everyone, every human being, has that same right. 
So with this in mind, uh, in seeing how it frees us, what on earth possesses us to murder? What is behind the sin of murder? Now, all of the Ten Commandments have an idol that sits behind it, something that we want to worship other than God. And the idol behind murder is the idol of entitlement. That's the idol there, entitlement, or my rights, what I deserve. And that is how we fail in this command, the failure of entitlement. All murder, every single murder, is always to do with someone not getting what they want or what they feel that they deserve. So we might think we deserve justice that we haven't got, and so we deserve that, so we take it out ourselves on somebody else. Or we think we deserve what someone else has, and so we take them out in order to get it. Either way, there is this sense of entitlement. And that was seen clearly in Genesis chapter 4, isn't it, that we read in our Bible reading. Uh, In that verse, Cain is angry with his brother because he thinks he deserves to be accepted by God. He thinks that his offering was just fine. I deserve to be accepted. And he became, it says in those verses, angry. He was angry at God, and then that anger was directed at his brother who had been accepted by God. His sense of entitlement was, my offering should be accepted, I didn't get what I deserve. And we see this kind of attitude all the time in our lives, when perhaps when, when something good happens to someone else and not to us, and we see, well, I deserve a bit of that, and we want to bring them down, we get angry with them. We want to bring them down a notch or two. Another example that most of you may know is recently a new version of the film The Lion King came out. And in that film, if you remember, the, 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 the brother Scar is jealous of his father Mufasa's throne. He thinks he deserves to be king. It's not fair that he gets to be king and, and I don't get to be king. And so what does Scar do? He arranges the murder of his brother so he can take the throne. And we see that kind of thing uh, throughout history, throughout our world. And we do see it in our own lives. And here's how. Because mo- some of you may be thinking, well, the Ten Commandments have been a really interesting series, but this week I can switch off. Because I've never, never done this kind of thing. I'm nothing like Scar or nothing like Cain. I can have the week off, surely. Well, you may think that, but that is not the case at all. Because Jesus makes one of the commands we perhaps feel most good about become one of the ones we feel most convicted about. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says these words. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Uh, Raka there is a little bit like uh, our word idiot, or uh, moron, stupid, those kind of things. 
Jesus tells us here that murder is in the heart. Now, Cain's murder of Abel began when he got angry. And when we do not physically kill somebody, Jesus says that our anger is also murder. Now, why do we get angry? Because we don't get our way. We don't get what we feel we're entitled to. And here's some uh, examples. Uh, When someone wastes your time and you get angry about it, what are you thinking? How dare they take up time that I'm entitled to? I'm entitled to this time. And they're stealing it from me. How dare they? In our marriages, how much anger is because I deserve to be served a little bit better than I am. I, I, I deserve more than this. We want to be served rather than to serve our spouses. Uh, With our children, how much of our anger with our children is not really because they've done something wrong, but because I deserve a bit of quiet. I've been working hard all week. I don't deserve this noise. Be quiet. Shut up. Or something else. Children. How much of your anger towards your mother and your father is because you don't think they're giving you what you deserve? I deserve a new phone. Everyone else gets one. I deserve to stay up later. I deserve to have more pocket money. And when this request is turned down, oh, my parents are just stupid. You see? How much anger in your workplace or about your boss is because you feel you're entitled to just a bit more? I've worked hard. I deserve better than this. Or because you've worked really hard and you think, well, I've done my best. I'm entitled to more. All of us struggle with these things, don't we? Or at church. At church, I'm entitled to a bit of personal space. How dare someone invade my life and tell me that I might have been wrong or challenge me in some way or want me to serve them? How inconvenient. I deserve time off. Jesus basically is telling us here that you can commit the sin of murder before you commit the act of murder. And Jesus also speaks here of murderous words when we call people idiots, when we call them stupid, when we put them down, we are committing murder. Imagine if you go to an art gallery using that same illustration and you're with the artist and you say to them, oh, that picture's stupid. That's rubbish. You're insulting not just the painting, but you're insulting the artist as well. And when we go to people and say to them that they are stupid and they're idiots and all these things, even behind their backs and they can't hear you, God, the one who made them, hears every single word, and it is murder. That's not to say people don't do stupid things, but when we are labeling them like this, It's another way of defacing the image of God. In our day, we see this all the time, don't we, on social media. It is used to tear people apart. It is is fine to disagree with what an MP or a politician does. It's nothing wrong with uh, disagreeing with a position. But when they are attacked in vile ways online, that is murder. We might, uh, and, and, it's, and, it, and it happens all the time, probably because it, it's a faceless murder, isn't it? No one has to see me. I can have some pseudo name on Twitter where no one knows who I am and I can say whatever I like. And people say that it's, it's faceless, it can't be seen, so it doesn't matter. 
but God sees. Now, some of you may, um, as a fun thing, I've done this before myself. It's probably not fun in light of this sermon, but to try and make up the perfect murder, a murder that could never, uh, you'd never be caught. Some people like to do those kind of thought experiments. Um, but there's no perfect murder. There's no such thing. God said in Genesis 4 to Cain, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground, he said. And even on social media, when you go after somebody with your pseudo name, those words cry out to God from wherever you've sent them. He knows, he sees, there is no perfect murder, not even those words that we speak in anger, not even those thoughts about that person that we mutter under our breath. God hears all. He sees all and he even sees the heart. Does anyone think they've cut the week off? This command doesn't apply to me. It applies to us all. All murder, from internal burning anger to words that kill, Jesus says, is subject to judgment. But in our day, there are three, I think, hot topics that I want to mention that are also murder that I want to talk about because they're important that we, we see these for what they are. And they all serve the idol of entitlement. And these three things are abortion, euthanasia, and suicide. All three of these things are murder. If you think about abortion to start with, those who support abortion, they, they call themselves pro-choice. So what they're saying is, I am entitled, you see the, the idol, I have the right to choose what a woman does with her body. That is my right. I'm entitled to it. Which sounds admirable and is often true, by the way, in, in many other areas of life, but until you consider that the child, the human being, in God's image, has no choice whatsoever. And the child in the womb is a human, make no mistake. Um, the, the, often the word used is fetus, and, and, and it's a fine word to a point, but not when it's used to, 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 to make the, the human less than human, if you see what I mean. But it's not just a scientific fact, it's a biblical one. The Bible tells us how God knits us together in the womb. Incidentally, there is no science behind abortion, a baby doesn't become human at 24 weeks, and it's murder. And when you think about it, it's a monstrous murder too, isn't it? Because isn't the womb supposed to be a place of safety and security? That is how God designed it to be. And these days, uh, scans are, are so accurate that they can pick up uh, at a very early time whether a baby is disabled or whether they are a boy or a girl, and it is the disabled, and in many cases it is the girls who are most at risk in the womb because they are the ones that are not wanted. That is what happens with abortion. They are murdered because they are not wanted. And what message does that give to the millions of disabled people and the millions of girls that are told, yeah, we, we believe that everybody has the right to life, security, and liberty, 
but you're just not quite as valuable. That is what they are saying. They are being told that they are a drain on society, whereas we believe they are made in the image of God and they are precious. In the UK, since 1967, when abortion was legalized, there have been over 8.5 million murders of children in the womb. Isn't that awful? We throw around these statistics, they just become numbers, but they are made in the image of God. Now, there are tragic cases. Yes, there are. We often hear um, of, uh, but what about rape and incest and, and mothers whose health is at serious risk? We don't take those situations lightly. We don't play them down. And as Christians, we want to help and support wherever we can. But there is still a person in those rooms made in God's image. And the fact is that the vast, vast, vast majority of those 8.5 million terminations in our own country have nothing to do with tragic cases, but are lifestyle choices. We have to stand against these things. Um, I'll move on to euthanasia. Uh, That's also about entitlement. How is it advertised? It's the right to die, isn't it? The right to die. I am entitled to take my own life or have my life taken uh, whenever I want. But again, who is the most vulnerable here? It is those who are disabled and elderly. And it, it is cheaper, okay, for a state to kill than to care. And if this comes in, it is far more expedient to just kill people off than to help them care. That is what happens. People will be given a message that they are not worth keeping alive, they are not as valuable, they are hard work, and it is those, again, who are most vulnerable that are put, will be pushed into ending their life. Uh, Nancy Guthrie uh, is an author who, who writes really helpfully on this. Uh, this is what she says about euthanasia. The right to die movement presents euthanasia as compassionate, but disparaging human life as expendable is not compassionate. The term compassion literally means to suffer with. True compassion literally means to suffer with. It means being willing to suffer on behalf of others, loving them enough to bear the burden of caring for them. Now again, When you uh, turn on your radios about this, you will always be presented with the most tragic case. And yes, feel sorry for that case. It is awful. But that doesn't mean we change the law to make so many vulnerable. It is wrong to help someone to die. That is murder. And then finally, suicide is a very uh, tragic and selfish way to end a life, isn't it? And it's true that this often happens as a result of severe mental illness. But it is never right even to take your own life. Self-murder is still murder. It's worth saying that it's not an unforgivable sin. Some have taught that if you kill yourself, you cannot go to heaven. That isn't isn't right at all. Um, God forgives all of our sin. If you are God's child, you are God's child. No matter what happens, 
But it's also right to point out that it is wrong. And, and, and again, another helpful quote on this from Kevin DeYoung. He says, suicide might feel like the only way out, but scripture tells us that God will never lead us into a situation where violating his commandments is the only option. We do not help struggling saints by refusing to tell them that suicide is displeasing to God. Lovingly spoken in the right time, that may be one way in which God jolts the suicidal soul back to better, saner, more righteous thinking. Your life is precious to God even when you have concluded that it is pointless. Those things are hot topics in our culture. Uh, They are things we need to pray about because there is legislation uh, on abortion which is awful. And I was speaking recently to a man uh, who I worked with on Contagious who received a letter from a Christian member of parliament that pleaded with him to pray against laws coming in for euthanasia in this parliament. He says the average age of MPs has decreased and most of those that have come in are supportive of it. We need to pray. And when we hear about these things, we need to be uh, perhaps writing to our MPs and those kind of things. These things are murder and it is murder of the most vulnerable in our society. So we've looked at how um, all of us have failed in this, but we can be thankful that we have a saviour in Jesus who, who is the fulfilment of honouring life. And I think the way that we can think of Jesus fulfilling this command in the best way possible is that Jesus became flesh. He showed how much he honours life by becoming flesh and dwelling with us to save us from our sin. Jesus teaches us about murder. Uh, In that same um, section on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uh, tells us about not murdering, but then he goes on to say that if your uh, brother or sister has something against you, go and be reconciled to them. He says not just do not murder, but proactively help those in need. Honour their life. Help them to live and to thrive as human beings. Rather than commit murder, be reconciled. Love. Get over your sense of entitlement. Let things go and be at peace with people. That's the the teaching Jesus gives on this. And didn't Jesus fulfill this perfectly? We were his enemies and he died for us. And a wonderful illustration of what Jesus does for murderers is found in Luke's gospel in chapter 23. It would be helpful actually to turn there uh, in your Bibles. Um, uh, Luke chapter 23, uh, it's page uh, 1059 in the church Bibles and 1641 in the large print Bibles. Uh, This is an account of uh, Jesus uh, and uh, a murderer of what happened. Uh, And so I'll read from verse 13 of Luke 23 down to verse 24. Uh, Jesus is here, is before Pilate. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers and the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and I have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he has sent him back to us, as you can see. He has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! 
Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them, why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Luke here is purposefully, in his gospel, showing a swap that has taken place. That Barabbas, the murderer, was freed, and Jesus was crucified instead. Jesus had done nothing wrong, but he was murdered. And he was murdered for murderers. We can be forgiven even of the most vile sin, even of murder, even physical murder. Not not murder only of the heart, he forgives that, but he forgives every kind of murder. If, and we don't know whether Barabbas did this, we aren't told, if we seek forgiveness and trust that Jesus has died for our sins. And when we've been forgiven of our sin, God gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can begin to live for Jesus by the power of the Spirit and we can begin to live a life that looks different, that does not murder. A future of honouring life. Now, I'm not going to mention anything uh, really about dealing with anger because just last month, uh, Tim spoke uh, in depth on anger in the table talk and I would refer you to to that message, Uh, great uh, uh, teaching on anger there. But there are some other thoughts from this command that I think uh, are helpful that are, are different from that particular issue. And I think as Christians, we best keep this command by loving our neighbor as ourself. That's how we fulfill this command. Loving our neighbor as ourself. Now, we all love ourselves, and in some senses, that is a good thing. So, for example, um, we brush our teeth. At the moment, especially, we wash our hands. Those are ways of loving ourselves that are good, aren't they? We need to take care of our physical well-being. Uh, we're not supposed to just let ourselves become unhealthy. We're supposed to care for ourselves. But honouring life practically looks like helping others in the same kind of ways. We help them, we value them, just like we do ourselves. In our church, we have lots of people with lots of needs. We can help them where we can. We honour their lives by not moaning about them, but helping them. And I think that is an especially appropriate application, isn't it, for the current situation we face in terms of this coronavirus. We live in a world that is fighting over toilet roll and pasta. As Christians, what should our response be? We should be willing even to give our last toilet roll to someone that's in need. That's the kind of thing Jesus talks about in responding uh, to this kind of thing. That's loving your neighbor as yourself. 
It is wrong uh, for everybody, but it is especially a poor witness if we are in the supermarkets grabbing everything for ourselves so that others can't have it. That is the, the total opposite of what Jesus calls us to be. Rather, we ought to be those that are helping those in need. So if you see neighbours that are, are shut in and can't get out, help them. When we, uh, let's be in touch as church members and help each other. That's honouring life and valuing one another. Not just looking after yourself, but the needs of others. Now, sometimes uh, we can be frustrated about the government legislation uh, around health and safety, around safeguarding. We may disagree about how they're dealing with this virus. We may think they're over the top. We may think they're not doing enough. But I believe that we honor this command by having in place what is required of us by the government when their intention is to keep us safe. We may complain about the hoops we've got to jump through for safeguarding, for example, but we honour this command. We honour life when we do what we can to keep people safe. And in this current situation with the coronavirus, it means following the advice that the government gives us. We live in a country where I believe, at least, that they are genuinely trying to do what is right to keep us safe. Let's be helpful rather than a hindrance to those people. Other things as Christians I think we can do in, with regards to this command is to stand up for those who are not valued by society. We've talked about abortion and euthanasia. Let's take a stand for the vulnerable. Let's pray about these things. But I want to conclude just with some words uh, that John writes in uh, 1 John chapter 3. I'll show these on the screen rather than turn to them. He says, for this is the message you have heard from the beginning. No, he didn't say that. He says, he says that later. He says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Brothers and sisters, let us value one another as precious children of God. Let us value each other. Let's not talk each other down, but rather love as God loves us. Well, we're going to come around the Lord's table just in a moment, but before that, we're going to sing a song which I think is so uh, wonderfully appropriate before we come to the table, but also in response to this um, passage because it talks about those that were once God's enemies now being seated at his table. Jesus died for murderers, murderers like us, and we can come around the Lord's table and celebrate what he has done because he has died for us. So let's uh, um, come around the Lord's table in a moment, but first of all, let's sing uh, the mystery of the cross. We'll stand as we worship our Saviour together. (coughs) 